Hear the word of the Lord from John 6, 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't think I need to introduce myself, but I just wanted to say my name is Scott Gasco, and I am the director of operations uh, here at Sacred City, uh, because it feels good to say that. Uh, but before we get to the word of God this morning, uh, can I just take a minute right here and uh, wanted to start off this morning just saying how good it is uh, for the Gasco family uh, to be a part of this church family. Uh, our family transitioned from Iowa City uh, to Bettendorf uh, between Thursday and Friday, and uh, I tell you what, on Friday, um, just got loud and clear uh, some of the best examples of what it looks like uh, to be a part of a family, and it had been a while, y'all, since we had it. Uh, a family and like that. And so uh, just think like Friday, um, man, uh, dude just drops what he's doing, comes over with the right drill in order to be able to get the feet off of the couch that the movers couldn't get down into my basement. And, uh, and it happened like that, like a text gets sent out and that happens, right? Uh, another friend drops the middle of his workday, uh, comes over and rolls the wall because he's the best roller uh, of the walls. A, a couple of other friends like came over during the day and when my wife and I are doing other things, our kids' uh, rooms turned uh, from junk rooms with like uh, cardboard boxes everywhere to like having beds set up and made so that they had a place to sleep uh, by the end of the night. Uh, yesterday, uh, had friends come over and uh, literally do the job that everybody else said that they would call in sick for, right? And start scraping wallpaper off of our walls for three hours when I'm exhausted and I didn't have anything left in the tank to even work alongside of them. Uh, had a couple other friends, right? Uh, come over and uh, put together, let's be honest, honest, this uh, uh, loft bed that we bought our daughter to bribe them into moving with us, right? Uh, that uh, would have taken me uh, two, two full weeks, right, probably to put together. Uh, and they put it together in, a, I don't know, a couple hours, uh, and, uh, but put their heart and soul into building this thing without the right instructions, okay? And so, uh, so many examples of just what it looks like uh, to be a part of a church family again. And so we just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for being that church uh, that welcomed us uh, so well and continues to do that. Well, here's the deal. Uh, we're in John's gospel, right? That's why we've got uh, all this uh, stuff up here. And one of the things uh, that uh, I've said uh, when I've been up here uh, before is that this is a firsthand eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, there's one thing that John wants us to know, and that is who Jesus is. He wants us to get to know the real Jesus. And so he's pulled out all the stops. He's going to show us seven signs. He's going to uh, show us seven I am statements. If we get all the way through this guy, uh, he's going to pull out uh, seven-ish witnesses, right, uh, to testify to us about the identity of Jesus. And so uh, all that comes back to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Uh, and Jesus says that now, or it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
And you might think, right, like uh, he wrote these signs in the book, like, and you're thinking about the things that happen in John's gospel, if you've read it before, and you're like, well, for sure, like walking on water has got to be one of those like key seven signs, right? Well, you know, scholars are on both sides of this, but like uh, this dude that I read uh, and studied, uh, G.K. Barrett and, and myself, like we, we tend to think that maybe that's not the case actually, which is crazy that Jesus walking on water isn't one of the seven foremost signs in this gospel. Because if you look at the scripture that we read this morning, there's not a ton of explanation to the way that there was uh, last week when Justin talked about Jesus making, uh, taking these bread and, and these fish and and feeding uh, 5,000 plus people. And then there's this rest of the chapter. John 6 is like the longest chapter, right, uh, in this gospel. It takes the rest of the chapter to explain why this sign shows who he is as the bread of life. Well, you hear about Jesus walking on the water, and then it feels like we move on five verses later. Uh, so I don't know that this specifically is here as one of those key seven signs, but it does point us to more about Jesus' identity and who he is. And so today we're going to look at it in order to see the real Jesus. Because when Jesus walked on water, he did it to come out into the boat with his disciples. And before he got in the boat, he said to them, he looked in in their eyes and said, it is I, do not be afraid. Y'all think about this with me, uh, about the way that sometimes we can get confused about people's identity based on the time and the place and the setting where we see someone. I had a friend a couple years back, okay? It was a little bit later in the fall, and this is around Halloween time, okay? Uh, So take that in as you think about this story. It's around Halloween time, and she just headed out to Walmart in order to get some some shampoo, all right? Uh, Girl was a little bit homesick, right? Uh, uh, She's in a college town, away from home, away from parents, but she went to the store to get some shampoo, right? And as she's in the shampoo aisle, the, the story that I was told is she's like bending over to pick up some shampoo and she leans back up. And the first thing she makes eye contact with is a woman uh, with like some kind of purple dye in her hair, uh, blood painted all over her arms. And she had in those special contacts that change your eye color. And so they're like blood red. And so she is just there, right? Like uh, not thinking about it being Halloween season to get a bottle of shampoo. And she is just scared out of her mind and like screams and like turns down the aisle the other way because she sees this woman painted with blood and, and bloodshot eyes. You see, there's times that fear can cause us to mistaken someone's identity. And in John chapter six, Jesus walks on water in the midst of a storm and his disciples, y'all, they're frightened. And their fear caused them to mistake Jesus' identity. Jesus speaks one phrase. He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid, he says to them. And these words... Just hearing those words, at that, the disciples ceased to be frightened, and they had this strong desire to have his company in the boat with them. You see, this morning, I think God wants us to hear, because Jesus is who he is, we must strongly desire to have him and his company 
in our boat. My sermon title for this morning is Get in My Boat. So today, here's what we're going to see as we go. Just if you're, if you're a note taker and you want to know where we're going ahead of time, we're going to see that walking on water may not even be the most impressive miracle here. We're going to see that we are prone to react in fear when we're caught in storms of circumstance. We're going to see that Jesus says to us in our storms of circumstance, he says to us too, it is I, do not be afraid. And we're going to see that having Jesus in our boat, it changes everything, y'all. It changes everything. Will y'all pray with me? God, we are aware this morning that uh, as we enter into your word, that is, it's nothing that we bring to the table that makes it so that I could uh, speak words that are true and from you. And it's nothing that we bring to the table this morning that makes it so that our hearts are open to hear what you have to say to us. And so we ask you to sovereignly do that work, that you would work uh, through my mind and my vocal cords this morning, that you would soften our hearts, open our ears, and that this would be a time when we hear directly from you and that when we leave this place, we leave as changed people with hearts that desire to put your word into practice in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I already told you this, but where we're starting is that walking on water may not even be the most impressive miracle in this passage this morning. You see, it's clear in this section that John's not giving much attention to the miracle of Jesus walking on water, okay? This miracle is getting a lot of attention in the Bible, right? Because it's recorded in three out of the four Gospels, but John's uh, recording of this miracle is the most brief, if you were to compare them. He doesn't expound on this miracle as if it were one of the seven signs. And he's very short on detail when he's telling the story. I don't say this to downplay this miracle, but instead to make it clear that this is a part of history that has definitely happened. And the fact that it's not a major part of John's gospel speaks even louder to the point that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, because he did even more impressive miracles and more pointed miracles or signs. And John chose to share more about those to reveal Jesus' identity to us. You see, there's four miracles in this short passage. You might not have picked it up at first glance, but from my study, I can see not one, not two, not three, but four, I I counted like this, four, there it is, miracles in the midst of this one story. You see, Jesus walked on water. He calmed the storm. Then he calms the storm in his disciples' hearts. And then he takes them on a real quick trip. Immediately they are at the shore. We'll get more into each one of those. But the first one is that Jesus walked on water. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Okay, think about this, y'all. In most contexts, walking on water, if you're thinking about the coolest things that any of us have ever done, it would be on the top of the list, okay? And not just us. You're thinking about, okay, uh, Greek gods or any list of magnificent, uh, you know, uh, mystical stories. Walking on water is going to be at the top. It's so impressive in fact, that uh, I learned this, that the basilisk lizard, okay, we're not talking about the basilisks from Harry Potter, okay, not in Chamber of Secrets, all right? It's not that snake in the background, you know, crawling through the walls uh, that only you can hear if you speak parcel tongue. That's not what we're talking about, okay? A real live lizard that uh, is called the basilisk lizard that can 
slap the surface of the water with such great force and speed that it's able to run across the top of the water to escape its predators. This lizard uh, is also known as the Jesus Christ lizard. Like that's, they, they couldn't think of anything else to call this thing because nobody else is walking on water. And so the other name that is given is the Jesus Christ lizard. You see, Jesus didn't walk on water to, to be this, to just amaze his disciples or something, but it's a powerful, visible demonstration of Jesus' sovereignty over the world that he spoke into existence. You see, in this one outing on the sea, Jesus showed that he alone rules over all of creation. Y'all, it's going to be tough for some of us to get that into our mind this morning. As I keep going, and I'm going to talk about three other miracles, but I want you to know this did happen, and it's going to be God and his work in our hearts and then in our minds that helps us to believe that he, only, he not only spoke this world into existence, but he can walk on whatever part of it he wants to because that's who he is. So the first miracle we see here is that Jesus walks on water. The second one is that Jesus calmed the storm. And I'm going to tell you, this miracle is not directly apparent in our text, but it's much more apparent if you look at Matthew and uh, Mark's accounts of this story. So if you were, uh, if we had slides this morning, I'd be projecting for you Mark 6, 51. You don't necessarily need to flip there because we're coming right back to John. But it says, and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. You see, the, the wind is blowing so hard that the sea was described as churning the way that you would uh, churn uh, like dairy products in order to make butter. You see, I never did it before, so I said dairy products, right? I don't really know what I'm talking about. But the way that uh, milk or cream is churned in order to make butter. But when Jesus got in the boat with the disciples, the wind ceased. I, I know that some of us have seen some storms blow over rather quickly but this is a little too much to call it a coincidence, especially when we have other firsthand eyewitness accounts of Jesus literally speaking to storms and telling them to stop. You see, that's the second miracle is Jesus calms the storm in the sky and on the seas. But the miracle that I find the most impressive in these six verses is when Jesus calms the storms swirling in their hearts. You see, we might need a little bit of help here from the Gospel of Mark, but we can see from our passage that the disciples went from frightened over here to being glad to receive Jesus in the boat. Look at verses 19 to 21 if we keep going. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming into the boat, and they were frightened. That's where they were at first, right? They were frightened. They were scared out of their minds. Verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then after the fact, they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. You see, there's a thing that we need to take notice of and it's the fact that a good number of these disciples, they're fishermen by trade, okay? This is their job. It's like if you're on a construction site, you're not walking around all day scared that something's gonna fall on your head if you're a foreman or, or you work there, right? That's your job and, and so you've been in situations like that and you don't just walk around scared even if it's a bad day at work. 
It's not what you do. And so fishermen, when they're in, in a boat in the same way, they're not walking around scared out of their minds because they've been in, they're in a storm. They've probably been in a storm or two before, right? And so if we were to look a little bit deeper about what it is that making, is making these men frightened in the midst of a storm, what you'd find out is that their fear came from their perception of Jesus' identity. And we've got to see this this morning. We need to see with crystal clear clarity that their fear is because of what they mistook about Jesus' identity. In Mark's gospel, you can write this one down in chapter 6, verses 49 and 50. It says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, here it is, they thought that he was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. It wasn't the storm It was something about how they saw Jesus. It was part of how they saw him that day and they mistook his identity that made them frightened. Stick with me, folks. In the same way that the children in our trick-or-treating group a few years ago were scared of me because I was walking around that night in a full-body Darth Maul suit and I had my double-barreled lightsaber lit up, you know. I'm walking around with them trick-or-treating and one of the little girls wouldn't even walk with us. Her and her mom had to trail back a block because she was scared to be around me. She thought I was Darth Maul. I took off the mask. Don't worry. I showed her and she still didn't believe it. In the way that she mistook me and was scared to trick-or-treat with us that day, these men who knew Jesus well perceived that he was a ghost and they were terrified. But when Jesus opened his mouth and spoke what's translated to be just seven words in the English language, the text says, verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. In other words, church, the disciples went from pee in your pants, frightened by Jesus, to strongly desiring to Jesus get in the boat with them. Jesus showed Proverbs 21, 1 to be true of him. It says the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He directs it wherever he wills. Church, he showed that he's not only sovereign over the wind and the waves, but he is sovereign over the hearts of men. Even men that are frightened and think that he's a ghost. Right there in them. And to me, the calming of the storm in the disciples' hearts is the most impressive miracle in this text. And we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about it, but we haven't even hit them all yet. So let's get one more. Jesus also made it so that immediately their boat was at their Destination. Speaking of peeing in your pants, frightened, right? Let's talk about being uh, peeing in your pants for a second. Have you ever had to go to the bathroom so bad, right? Like you're in the car. You know what I'm saying? You got your seatbelt strapped on. You're in the car and you've got to go to the bathroom so bad uh, that like, you know, all the kids can relate to this for sure. You're sitting in the back seat and you close your eyes and you're like, God, would you please make it so that when I open my eyes, we're at our destination because I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Essentially what we see happening here in this text is God answers that prayer for the disciples because they end up right there on the shore. I'm sure that's where the bathroom was, okay? You know the feeling. You're just not, gonna, you're just not willing to admit it, right? Well, in this story, I'm not sure any of these guys actually had to go to the bathroom. I maybe added that, okay? 
But Jesus answered that prayer for each one of these guys. When he got in the boat, it says immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. And here's the deal. That land was probably about three more miles away from the spot that Jesus got into the boat. This was, by my estimation, the fourth miracle in these few verses of Scripture. Think about why John would put these signs in these few amount of verses with me. Taken as a whole, these miracles clearly show Jesus to be both, here it is, imminent and transcendent. Transcendent is, oops, I did the wrong way. Transcendent and imminent. Here we go. Transcendent, existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe, but imminent in that he is permanently pervading and sustaining the universe. Think about this. Jesus is transcendent in that he's not limited by the density of the water that he is walking on. Jesus is transcendent in that he doesn't have to stay inside when storms rage. Jesus is transcendent in that he is not bound by normal means of travel, example, rowing in a boat, but he can just make the boat arrive immediately at his preferred destination. This is who he is. He is transcendent. But Jesus is also imminent at the same time. And if we just get one and we don't get the other, we're going to be shook because Jesus showed himself to be imminent in the way that he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus showed himself to be imminent in the way that he ate and he slept and he talked to his disciples. Jesus shows himself to be imminent by coming near to the disciples in the midst of the storm and calming the storms in their hearts. And it's because Jesus is both transcendent and imminent that Jesus is the best choice of anyone who ever lived to get in the boat with you in the midst of whatever storm you're going through right now. And that brings us to lesson number two this morning. You see, I think each and every one of us, even if you're not in a storm right now, I think each and every one of us are prone to react in fear when caught in storms of circumstance. Got any Little Mermaid fans up in the house this morning? I don't mean that new one that came out, that live action junk, okay? I'm talking about in the 80s, that animated feature film, you know, with the redheaded uh, Little Mermaid, you know, Ariel. Uh, it's, it's a good one, okay? I grew up, and that's where I, did, I uh, actually learned my falsetto and how powerful it was as a young man, okay? Because my sister could sing with Ariel all she wanted, and I got there, y'all. Uh, I had to watch that movie so many times. It was her favorite. You know, I was digging Aladdin, but we, we watched The Little Mermaid because she was bigger than me at the time. Here we go. Uh, there's this scene that I've seen so many times at the end of the movie. And, and Ursula, the evil witch of the sea, she takes King Triton's, uh, Triton's trident and she turns up the sea, right? What I was talking about earlier about the butter. She turns up the sea and she makes it so much of a storm that Ariel, the little mermaid, she's left on a rock in the middle of the ocean with no water to swim in. And Prince Eric and his ship seem to be getting sucked away into the water. He's passing around her and around her, right? And he can't get to her. You know the scene, okay? In this vortex of water. Well, this is, just, this is more than just a mere storm, right? This is what I would call a storm of circumstance. 
Think about all the circumstance that had to happen in Ariel's life in order for this moment to brew into such a huge storm. First, this girl had to be living a life of disobedience to her parents. Kids, are you listening? You can, uh, you can get out of a couple of storms just by obeying your mom and dad because God set them up as the authority in your lives. Second, Ariel had to crush on this dreamy Prince Eric who's not even the same species as she is, okay? Come on. Third, Ariel had to get so upset with her father that she was willing to swim off and make a deal with the evil witch, Ursula, right? And fourth, those horrible eels, Flotsam and Jotsam, you guys remember them, right? Uh, they had to flip the boat at just the right time because if she would have just smooched him, if, she just, if he would have just kissed the girl a little bit faster, like she would have been fine. She got her voice back and she would have just walked away in a dream, right? All of these things had to happen in order to end up in this storm of circumstance. You see, no matter how good the king and how recently he has proven himself worthy, church, think about this. When caught up in storms of circumstance, we are all prone to react in fear, aren't we? Take John 6, for example, right where we're at. By the sixth chapter of John's gospel, we have recorded for us many signs revealing Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, so that we could find life in his name. Most recently, in the first 15 verses of John chapter 6, Jesus proved himself by feeding as many as 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and two small fish. Not only that, the disciples got their hands dirty in the midst of this miracle. They were the ones passing the bread down the aisles, right? They're the one that picked up the baskets afterwards and saw how much leftovers there was and how much he cares, not just about their sustenance, but he wants to offer them this awesome life. You see, these guys not only heard who Jesus was, they saw it firsthand and got their hands dirty in being a part of, showing others who he was. These men were hands-on eyewitnesses of the transcendence and imminence of Jesus Christ just hours earlier. But when they saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were frightened and thought he was a ghost, y'all. Because they were in the midst of a storm and storms can cause us to be frightened and fear and mistake Jesus' identity. Let's talk about what this looks like in our own lives. Under stress, each and every one of us, here it is, is prone to either overperform or underperform. If you aren't self-aware enough to know that about yourself, ask someone around you. They'll tell you what you do, okay? Some of us underperform, y'all. These are folks in a boat that during the storm, uh, they put their oars in and they, uh, they just uh, stop rowing because they're so overwhelmed by the storm turning around them and they just stop. And oftentimes, these kind of people, they find some sort of uh, entertainment or something to numb them and distract them from the storm going on around them. Some of us underperform in the midst of a storm. Some of us overperform in the midst of a storm. These are folks in the boat that during the storm, they think they can step up their rowing game so much that their great rowing is going to overcome Ursula, the queen over the sea, right? And so they're like over here rowing like crazy. And they've got a list of things that they're going to do in the midst of the storm. And if they check all these boxes, the storm is just going to magically go away. Some of us overperform in the midst of a storm. Some of us underperform in the midst of a storm, but no matter if you're prone to overperform or underperform, we're all prone to react in fear when caught in storms of circumstance. And I know this for two reasons. 
First, fear is a human emotion that we all deal with. And second, we are all sinners, y'all. Each and every one of us. Whether that's a title that you are willing to wear or not, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's who we are. And in our brokenness, we tend to respond to storms of circumstance and fear. There's a book I love uh, by Chip Dodd called The Voice of the Heart. And in it, he says, you and I have eight core feelings and we cannot live in fullness without knowing these feelings. And one of those eight feelings is fear. And about that, he says, fear brings us strength. You're like, that's backwards. Well, you gotta read the book if you, if you don't got it, okay? But he says, fear brings us strength. It's the feeling that allows us to experience risk, trust, dependency, collaboration, and ultimately wisdom because it helps us, here it is, to realize our need for help. Not for us to overperform or underperform, but to get help. And he goes on to say, this may sound contrary to everything you've ever heard about fear, but if we admit our fear, it can produce remarkable benefits. We discover that fear can be about assertion and prevention. If in the face of fear we can recognize our need for help, we find great opportunity. You see, the problem for us is that most of us react irrationally to our fear. Like the disciples, when we're caught in a storm, we irrationally act to cover up our fear because in that moment, we believe that the Son of God is just some ghost that we're frightened by. Think about some of the irrational things that you've done in storms of circumstance to cover up your fear rather than admitting your fear and asking for help. Y'all, we... uh, have been through a few storms here in the Gaskill family. And uh, uh, some of y'all don't know uh, our whole story and I can tell you um, that later. I'd love to, we'd love to sit down and have each and every one of you over for dinner and get to know y'all. But part of our story is that when our oldest, Madeline, uh, was born uh, for the first uh, three days, right? She was rocking it on a Game Boy. A Game Boy was pacing her heart. It looked like a Game Boy to me, y'all. I don't understand what the cardiologists do, but, uh, and then uh, for the rest of her life, she's had a few surgeries to get a pacemaker installed and have it replaced. She has fetal heart block. And so we've spent a good, enough, good amount of days in the hospital. And I tell you what, like the days when Maddie's been in the hospital, when, when she's been at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, and, and it feels like there's a storm brewing. I'm like, God, what's going on with my daughter? I just want her heart to work right. Irrationally, in that fear, I start to wonder, God, are you really good? Are you really a good father, and it causes me to go down roads in the way that I think about him, and I just, I can downward spiral, right? If I'm not seeing Jesus for who he is, then I'm not living in my identity in him, and it can just, my, our hearts can go down some, some negative roads, right? Or uh, for me, uh, in this past season, it's been what other people say or put into writing about me. And in those situations, uh, I've, I've wanted to like put up my dukes and, and fight. And I know that God doesn't want, he wants no dukes from me, okay? In this season, he's wanted me to put those away and let him be my protector. But in those situations, I'm wondering, God, are, are you like really uh, my protector? Are you really in control here? Because it feels like people are just coming at me left and right. And, and I start to wonder who he is and think things like, man, maybe he's impotent. Maybe he's not powerful enough to protect me and I've got to step up to the plate, right? You see, when we're going through storms of circumstance, it affects the way that we think about Jesus. And when we're not believing 
the real truth about the real Jesus and finding our identity in him, things can go all sorts of places because of the way that we irrationally react in fear. I don't know what you're going through. My guess is that some of this is happening in your life if you're in the midst of one of these storms. And the problem is that we have tried to deal with fear at a surface level, which has left us doing irrational things. And we need to get to the root level to what we truly believe about Jesus in the moment in order to face our fears. In the moment, we may not believe Jesus is a ghost, but we might believe that he's impotent and we might believe that he's not good and we might believe that he's not wise enough to see what was coming our way. But our actions, whether or not we can identify that, our actions show that we don't believe Jesus loves us or we don't share our heart with him because we don't think he, he cares about the small things that we're caught up in right now. You see, at the root, the way that we face our fear in faith is by looking at what our actions show about who we believe Jesus is. And in the end, it comes down to what we believe about Jesus in our hearts. And we need to repent of believing untrue things about him, see him for who he is, stand in that truth, and walk in our identity in him. And here's the bonus. When we believe the truth about Jesus in our hearts, everything doesn't get better Okay, but John, 1 John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love, but perf perfect love casts out our fear. Our fear in our hearts can be dealt with even before the storm is put away around us. You see, Jesus says to us in our storms of circumstance, it is I do not be afraid, church. You see, the strength of Jesus' statement in here is in what he did not say, not just in what he did say. Think about this with me. Jesus didn't mention his own name when he's walking on the water. He didn't identify his disciple, himself to his disciples by his nickname. Like, he didn't walk out like y'all, if you see my license plate out here in, in high school, uh, my baseball team calls me Gazzy. He's not like, hey, hey, it's Gazzy over here, right? He didn't pull out some nickname that only they knew. He didn't say, chill out, guys, I'm not a ghost, it's just me, Jesus. He did nothing of the sort. And I think that's very important. Jesus just used a short phrase that can be translated, it is I, or I am. Jesus didn't need to tell them his name because his voice was enough, church. There are some voices in our lives that we can identify no matter where we are in the midst of of a storm, right? We do it with our friends, right? Like if, I, if our friend uh, speaks to us, we just know that it's them. If your mom says, Scott Leonard Gaskill, you know it is your mom talking to you just by the sound of her voice, right? There's some voices that when they speak, we all know who it is, right? Like if I, if I was to say to you in my best uh, uh, tri trial version, right? Like Simba. You'd be like, bro. James Earl Jones is up in the place. There's some of those, or, or Luke, I am your father, right? That's James Earl Jones too, right? I'm just pulling it out from different places. But like, when you, when you get that, you can, you can even see the dude on the other side. I wanted to pull out a Field of Dreams line too, but I just couldn't think of it, okay? Because he's in that one too, y'all. He's everywhere. You start to hear his voice and you can hear it. Jesus, I don't know if he sounded like James Earl Jones or not, but I think, I think it that way. It is I. 
man, was enough for the disciples to identify his voice. And it was not merely a voice that they had heard many times before, but Jesus' voice was literally the one that spoke them into being, y'all. Remember when we started all the way back in the beginning of John? It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made in him and through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Call me crazy, but I think in that moment when Jesus said, it is I, do not be afraid, the disciples heard his voice, and at least they had a glimmer of hope that the one walking on water was more than a man. He was both imminent and transcendent, and this was why they strongly desired to have his company in the boat after he said, it is I, do not be afraid. See, John hits on this concept, knowing Jesus' voice even more in chapter 10. We'll get there, right? But I want to give you this little sliver before we get there. He says, truly, truly, I say to you in 10.1, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Church, the disciples know Jesus' voice in the midst of a storm because they were familiar with, not because they were familiar with Jesus, but even more so his voice cut through their fear because he created them and he is the good shepherd of the sheep. You see, if you know Jesus this morning, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you can take this truth to the bank. Church, Jesus' sheep know his voice. We know Jesus' voice because he's the good shepherd who knows, leads, feeds, and protects his sheep. We know Jesus' voice because he spoke us into being and he does everything necessary to care for and protect and love his sheep. In fact, John 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, he doesn't just protect his sheep. Verse 11 says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Church, the one that spoke you into being, the, the one that says to us, it is I, do not be afraid in the midst of our storms, does more than calm the storm, does more than just calm the storm in our hearts, does more than just answer our pee in the pants uh, prayer to get to the shore. He literally left heaven, the best address ever, came to earth into, into our broken world in the midst of our situations. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve because of our sin. And then three days later, he rose from the grave to conquer death, sin, and Satan. You know why? So that we could be with him. So essentially, we could be in his boat for the rest of eternity, living the abundant life and the eternal life that we can only have in him, that each and every one of us at the, at the core of our hearts longs for. He did that because he loves us. This is the one who is speaking to us this morning. See, I saw a post on social media back when I used to do those kind of things. Okay, I had to give that up. bro. It said something like this. The shepherd leaving behind the 99 in order to go and save the one lost sheep 
will never make sense to you unless you've been the one who was lost and is now found. See, he did that for you to remind us how much he loves us so we could take that truth to the bank. No matter what storm we find ourselves in, we could know he loves you. He is good. He is wise. We can trust him. See, church, here's the truth. The last truth this morning is that having Jesus in our boat, it changes everything. Maybe it doesn't make everything perfect, right? We live in a broken and sinful world, but having Jesus in our boat changes everything. You see, maybe the disciples didn't fully grasp the truth, but they wanted Jesus in the boat with them. Look at verses 20 and 21. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The words in the original language here, imply that the disciples had a desire to receive Jesus into the boat with them. In other words, the disciples wanted strongly to have Jesus' company in that boat. Step back and think about this for a moment, okay? In the midst of the storm, before Jesus had ever calmed the storm, with hard hearts, Scripture tells us, and before they understood the miracle of the loaves, if you look at Mark chapter 6, verses 51 and 52, it says, and he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. These dudes still didn't even understand the miracle they were a part of that Justin uh, told us all about last week. But their hearts were hardened, it says, before any of that As soon as the disciples identified the person who was walking on water as Jesus, the song of their hearts matched this Shane and Shane song that I listen to in my car every week on the way to church. It's called Give Me Jesus. Y'all know this one? Uh, I listened to the same album on my way to church. It was just a gift that, uh, that the um, worship team uh, played one off of, right? Like uh, Come Thou Fount this morning. It's like the third one, I think, on the album. Uh, but before that, there's this song, Give Me Jesus. And it's like, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. But one of the verses is, and when I am afraid, and when I am afraid, and when I am afraid, Give me Jesus. You see, I think this was the song in their hearts. And when Jesus got into the boat with them, the storm stopped and they were astounded. And at once they went to their destination. Y'all, I think the relationship that you have with the person in charge of your boat is one of the most important things in your life. Think about it. Anybody ever here ever gone whitewater rafting before? Think about this with me. The relationship you have with your whitewater rafting guide is an important relationship when you are up in that boat, all right? If you get off to the right, on the right foot with your guide, you're gonna be more confident in your guide's ability to lead your crew as you seek to maneuver through those rapids, right? You'll be more responsive when your, your uh, guide says, row on the right side, right? You'll be more at ease when you're going through rough waters if you know and trust in that whitewater rafting guide. Because having a good whitewater rafting guide in the boat with you changes everything when you're whitewater rafting. 
Sacred City, Jesus Christ is the true and greater whitewater rafting guide in a much more profound way. No matter what storm you're in, no matter how much the water's churning, no matter how bad it seems this morning, having Jesus in that boat with you changes everything. And we know this intellectually, but the problem is that we don't often believe it pragmatically in the midst of our storms of circumstance. Like the disciples, we can see Jesus do miraculous things one day, and by the time we get back in that storm later that night, we've forgotten, and we have hard hearts again. For whatever reason, we think that the gospel of Jesus Christ was helpful to me that day back then when Jesus saved me uh, from uh, death and transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. But today, we're forgetting who he is and what he's done because of the storm swirling around us that's taken our attention. You see, the truth of the matter is that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity, like Tim Keller said. And what we believe about the person of Jesus Christ and who we are in him is just as much, has just as much value to us today in the midst of our storm as it did that day back when I was in college when I put my faith and trust in him for the first time. You see, so many times we remember verse one, again, another song on that album that I listened to on my way to church of the Lord is my salvation. It says, the grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea and I am safe on solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. We remember that when we're standing on the solid ground, but we don't remember verse two that says, I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Sacred City, be encouraged. Having Jesus in our boat changes everything. You remember how we started out this morning? Talking about how fear can cause us to mistake a person's identity. You remember that shampoo aisle, right? And the story that I told you about my friend? And that caused her to mistake a woman dressed up in Halloween costume for some crazy lady who was looking to kill her in the midst of a Walmart. Well, I'm here to remind you this morning that our fear does the same thing in our day-to-day lives. But the person you're mistaken about is not somebody in the shampoo aisle. Rather, it's the very son of God. The Christ, the one that was sent to earth so that we might find life in his name. And our actions reveal what we truly believe about him, even in the midst of storms. And he looks at each one of us this morning and he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Translation, we don't have to be afraid when we have Jesus in the boat with us. When we're believing what is true about Jesus, his perfect love will cast out the fear in our lives. And he might have to do it over and over again, right? But his perfect love casts out fear in our lives. So we best get busy doing the work that God calls us to do, the work of believing in him, in the real Jesus, in the midst of all of our storms, all the time. I tell you what, one of the best ways to remind ourselves who Jesus is, who the real Jesus is, is when we get an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. You see, when we take that bread and when we uh, drink that wine or, or that juice, I don't know that there's any better reminder out there for us 
of who Jesus is and how much he loves us, that he was willing to give his body, that's what the bread represents, right? His body, to sacrifice his own body. That he was willing to spill his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could get in the boat with him. And so this morning, uh, as we come to the table, would it be a moment in our weeks to hit reset and to be reminded of the identity in Jesus? And my prayer is for each one of us that uh, we would fall in line and believe what he says about who he is and stand in our identity in Christ. Will you all pray with me? God, thank you that you are a God that cares enough about us to jump into whatever storms we are going through in life, to look us in the eyes and to say, it is I. Do not be afraid. God, as we come to your table this morning, would we be reminded of your identity? And would we know that even before the storm stops churning, that we are with you and that that is enough. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.